0: Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> Base low notes. Base low notes. low notes. feels quite appropriate and the vibe for this episode is certainly a little bit different we're recording at night got the whiskey here they are uh, we've got a, a whiskey each cheers cheers in our hands and we're sitting here thinking about parents and formative influences
0: um robert your
2: dad passed away earlier this year didn't he Just he did he? uh
0: in in july in july a year after my mum And it makes you think, doesn't it? Uh, It makes you start thinking about how you got to where you are and that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: absolutely. My dad passed away 10 years ago Mm. this year, which I I can't quite believe. You very kindly came and sang at his funeral. Mm. Um, Yeah, it does. I kind of can believe that it's 10 years because it it feels like an age since I saw him. But actually, when you put a date, when you put a time on it like that, you can't believe that the the time's passed that quickly. Mm. But look, before we get too morbid uh, and. yeah start to go down that avenue
0: let's lighten the mood a little bit yeah this is this is a bit of the king singers king singers singing flanders and swan is pretty much my childhood
1: in the bar in the bar simple pleasure when I've had a tiring day, in the, bath, in the bath, in the bath, where the noise of gentle sponging seems to blend with my tope in the bath, in the bath, in the bath. To the skull Ooh. of pipes vibrating in the boiler room below, I sing Ooh. a potpourri of
0: all the songs I used to know.
1: And the water thunders in and gurgles down the overflow In the bath, in the bath Then the loathing for my fellows rises Steaming from my brain In the bath, in the bath And condenseth to the milk of human kindness once again In the bath, in the bath Oh, the tingling of the scrubbing brush The flannel soft caress To wield a lordly loofah Is a joy I can't express How truly is it spoken One is next to godliness In the bath, in the bath, in the bath, in the bath. In the bath. In the bath. Then there comes that dreadful moment when the water's running cold In the bath, in the bath, in the bath in the, bath, in the bath. When the soap is lost forever And one's feeling tired and old in, in, the bath, in the bath, in the bath It's time to pull the plug out Time to mop the bathroom floor Oh, the towel is in the cupboard And the cupboard is next door. Yikes! It started running hot! Let's have another hour or more. In the bath! In the bath! bath. I can see the one salvation of the poor old human race. In In the bath! In the bath! In the bath! Let the nations of the world all meet together face to face In the bath, in the bath
0: Putting Carter, Castro, Callahan,
1: and all those other chaps With Flanders, Swan and Coward Then we'll have some peace perhaps Provided the king singers get the end without the taps In the bath, in the bath, in the bath in the
2: isn't it
0: it is it seems a gentler time in a way uh that's 1970s but some from the 50s or 60s uh the review team flanders and so on michael flanders donald swan who uh, their music i think ran through my father like blood it was a sort of life force and it was very apparent with that and the odd bootlegged recording of the goons in the 70s or toy town that he sometimes had that that was him he was very busy man he worked at a school and wouldn't let anyone else do a job if he he ought to have done it himself but it was getting stuff ready for his sort of commemoration event that we started unearthing things like pictures of him in full tights in, in a production of some GNS with the Ashton players um where they got married uh in my mum in the 60s and and getting correspondence from a Godfather of mine. He said, oh yes, when your father used to come and stay, you know, his teens, it was absolute mayhem here. <laughs> he used to work at a farm, and you know, whole plates of scones would, dis- would disappear. Um, and you know, we didn't quite get that side of him. I suppose you don't as as your kids, but that his love for Flanders and Swan, their wordplay, gentle wordplay, was very rarely at at an individual's expense, an institution sometimes.
2: Yeah, well, that explains why uh some my first experiences of Flanders and Swan was really with singing with Fagellini. Pillar to post and uh, and and the sloth, of course.
0: The Pillar to Post, a love song about a pillar box. It's just
2: it's so wonderful. It's simple, touchy touching humour, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the arrangement, that's Gordon Langford um arranging there. He did that fabulous arrangement of the oak and the ash, um, which I used to sing and absolutely love sort of jazz based Chords. Let's just list the um the singers there. It's the original lineup of them from the early nineteen seventies. Uh, Nigel Perrin and Alistair Hume, counter tenors. We'll come back to him actually in another episode. um Alistair Thompson, tenor. That, those high tenor lines, baritones. Um, Tony Holt and Simon Carrington and Brian K. Bass. It's a proper Renaissance voice lineup. Yeah. That, you know, you have got your altos, you got your high tenor barry tenors and, uh, and a bass. And their arrangements, the sheer fun they had. Uh, I, I, I remember being taken to see them in Malvern in about 1978 and was just so taken by the fact that you could sing music as a group and have that much fun. But you, I mean, you can hear them having that much fun, can't you? Yeah.
2: There's, the smile is in the voice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So that that's my sort of, I think that's probably my earliest musical memory but your your parents was their music that uh, yeah after a fashion uh, my mum
2: was uh, apparently a very good singer in her youth um and she used to sing a lot at, at home um i remember my dad telling me that he was actually a chorister uh in St Patrick's Catholic Cathedral in Armagh um and i remember being very surprised when he told me that and asking him what it was that they sang and he said he remembered singing bits of palestrina uh, it couldn't really be more specific than that. Um, no idea what, what the sort of standard was like. But interesting to me that, you know, that music spoke to me from, you know, from as, the, as soon as I started singing Renaissance Polyphony, mm. it felt like music that I was, it felt like coming home really. I was a, like, I felt like I was acquainted with it, even mm. though I'd never really sung it before. So maybe it was in, in the genes, as mm. my granny said once yeah. famously.
0: And I suppose... What, that would have been the 40s, early 50s? Yeah,
2: so he, he was
0: born, I think, 1934. So, yeah, it would have been around the 1940s that he was there. And the style of singing that stuff at that stage, uh, I mean, we haven't got a recording of our Cathedral, but we do have something similar Yeah, we, well, I
2: was thinking about, I wanted to play something that you know that he might possibly have sung, but didn't want it to be the 16 or, or you know, the Talis Scholars or some very polished uh, contemporary recording. Uh, and then I was reminded of an incredible recording of the Victoria Tenebrae Responsories by George Malcolm with the Choir of Westminster Cathedral, which I didn't actually know, I must admit, hold my hand up, until Sally Dunkley introduced me to it uh, a few years ago. Um, I was telling her how great I thought that the David Hill recording with Westminster Cathedral mm. Choir was. And she said, yeah, it is brilliant. But have you heard George Malcolm?
0: It, it's just something totally different. I mean, let's, let's just... Be, let's, Listeners will make up their own mind.
2: Yeah, so this is the second movement of the Maundy Thursday set, Judas Mercator Pessimus. Judas, the worst merchant, required a kiss from the Lord.
0: That's quite striking, isn't it? I mean, I I do know the record. I've never sat down and listened to the whole thing. But the, above all, it's the, it's the vocal license taken in the service of the drama. And, you know, it's not much point asking yourself as whether they did that then, because he's doing it now yeah. or back in 1959. The vowel sounds, pissimus, and, and completely open-throated singing in the solos from the boys. And that's about intent, isn't it?
2: Yeah, intent,
0: it's, commitment. But, I mean, it's
2: completely uninhibited as well. Yeah. They're really going for it, but with real control as well. I mean, incredible diminuendo, you know, nice graded yeah. diminuendo at the end of that first section.
0: And heavily directed, actually, in that, in that sort of sense. Harry, always, Harry Christophers
2: always says that Victoria is someone who you can interpret. You can do a lot with the music. And even in that, you know, 1959, that recording, there's a great sense of the ebb and flow of it, isn't there?
0: I remember listening to or watching The Sixteen in about 1991 in St. John Smith Square and thinking, gosh, this music can really take this. But that's the same with Bach. You can play Bach on milk bottles and it still sounds great. Uh, Same with Monteverdi to to a large extent. I don't think you can say that any good music can take a wide variety of different treatments because you know some needs a particular uh, approach i'm trying to think of something now but
2: well palestrina is a different case you know it's so close in a sense in style to victoria but you can't you can't interpret it as much as you can with victoria you can't pull it around as much there's a coolness perhaps to it a sort of perfection if you like
0: and just just listening to that you know we can say well that was just very much of its time but you know you've got to realize that everything we do now is totally of our time as well and I remember talking to Ekaterina Antonenko about this who runs the Russian choir in Entrada um, and we were talking about the Rachmaninoff Vespers and she said well the, the sort of view people have of it being huge Russian voices really laying into it that doesn't seem to be in the voices that he would have known and she did a recording with her choir was it the one on Live from London that they, they broadcast um, and it was much more what we would have thought of as a sort of uh, slightly politer English choir now but with beautiful Russian of course um, and sometimes you know views you have on music uh, yes so much of it is taste there's so much of his taste and so much of it is will the music take it and as we said Victoria will
2: I think the other thing just to say about that I mean you said it intent but the conviction behind it I mean it's there's no artifice in that at all is there it's heart on sleeve this is what this music says to us,
0: and, and you can't, means. in in some way, say that's inauthentic because what you want from singers is an honesty about about emotion, and that boy, I don't know whether they're, they're credited, probably not, 1959 in the recording. Uh, perhaps the boys listening would like to write in and tell us what the what the session was like. yeah, that if, would
2: be amazing to hear yeah. from someone who was actually there. Although I did note, actually, just looking up on this, Ian Partridge, one of the tenors, must have been a very young, Ian Partridge. So Ian, if by any chance you're listening to this, let us know what those sessions were like. Oh, wow, that's a bit of a journey, isn't it, from Flanders and Swan uh, to the Victoria Tenebrae Responsories?
0: Yes, although there is, uh, in my instance, there was Flanders and Swan in a sacred context once at my wedding. The of course, con- the congregational <laughs> hymn was the Hippopotamus Song. <laughs> Matthew Brooke sang it, and then everyone joined in in the uh, the final chorus. I say everyone; my French relations were sort of standing around like meerkats, thinking what's. What is this? Strange English. Um, were you at a English church? church? Uh, no, actually, we were We were in the hall of the Bishop's Palace for that. Oh, lovely. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about Wesley. You remember that? Um, you're probably too young. Do you remember the R. Whites lemonade? I'm secret lemonade drinker. R. Whites, R. Whites. I'm trying to
1: keep it up. It's one of those nets. Our Whites, Our Whites. R. White's. R. White's. R. White's.
2: I remember those adverts. Yeah, I was well,
0: on those. I'm a secret, well, not particularly secret, lover of the music of Samuel Sebastian Wesley. It was so imprinted on me. I was a chorister at Hereford Cathedral. My two brothers and I were all choristers, two at once, and that was the music that did it for me. We weren't very good, I think, at Tudor music, balustrade, and everything seemed to be quite slow and dull to my untutored ear at that stage. But Wesley, we really did. And we had a fantastic Henry Willis organ. And the big days when me were singing something like uh, "Blessed be the God and Father," or my personal favourite, "Ascribe unto the Lord." Great. Which in my memory is twenty six minutes long, <laughs> uh, but apparently it seems to be only fifteen minutes long. I've just <laughs> I've just discovered. Um, in in all these little sections. Um, and my father did a strange thing that is now actually quite a sort of treasury, in that he went and recorded even songs quite regularly from about 1975 onwards using what Uh, using an old stereo microphone and uh not a reel-to-reel he had a proper tape recorder sony tape recorder he used to go up into the organ loft and you can always tell whether it's one from the organ loft because the microphone was over can and therefore pointed at deck so deck is favored uh sometimes he would string it across the uh the the pillars and get something uh, more central but there's this we've now got all these tapes of all these uh, recordings and and it just takes me back to it as if it were yesterday and I'm slightly self-indulgently going to play this little bit of Wesley we can't sadly play all of it but here's about four and a half minutes of the opening of I think I mean I was so mad on Wesley I named my guinea pig Wesley <laughs> um, and this is a scribe unto the law which is a thumping good singer you know performance practice it said at the beginning on this big bass tune altos tenors and basses so all the altos not in their falsetto but in their, their baritone voices were joining in on this. he wanted everybody he was an awkward bugger apparently wesley not a not an easy guy to get on with also an organist at hereford gloucester and exeter uh, and this is just two of the two of the, the sections a slow stately one and stand in awe of him the words and there's this sense of awe before this wonderful high four-part quartet Thank you. So that's part of S.S. Wesley's Ascribe to the Lord. I have to be careful how I credit this, simply because I don't have permission to play that. That was just my dad with the microphone. I mean, they all knew it was happening. But many thanks to Hereford Cathedral Choir of 1979. Uh, Roy Massey conducting, Robert Green playing the organ. And I think the singer's there. It's David Huke on Alto 2. Not sure who Alto 1 was. (laughs) Further investigation, in fact, revealed it to have been Alan Stewart. Alan Dodson, now a chef, somewhere's treble two and treble one was me. I just that's. I mean, so
2: when did you first hear that? Like, did you know? Had you forgotten that your dad had these recordings? No, or no, I,
0: I absolutely knew he had them. But it was only when a chap called Richard Moore, an ex chorister from Hereford, digitised some of these that um, it became slightly easier to, to hear them again. Because you put a tape in a machine now, it'll probably sort of chew it, chew it all up. And can you remember though? You know that specific service because I mean, singing a solo like that. You know, it must be quite a big event. I think it was just such fun, and it was actually only just talking to you about it now that I think what I really loved about that was that it was the ensemble. I mean, I've got recordings of me singing, you know, Brahms, Ye Now Sorrowful, um, Allegri, stuff like that. But those were the ones that were fun because they had more sort of ensemble sense in them. And then there comes that dreadful moment as the King Singers have just sung, not when the water's running cold, but your voice changes. And, you know, I didn't have the same quality voice, um, which was a, a disappointment. And to to be to be at a good level when you're boy I was happy with anything anyone stick in front of me, you know, Lennox Barkley, it was all fine and then and then things change and they're and they're taken out of your hands.
2: I think that's something that sometimes it's underestimated the quite the impact that can have on boys when their when their voices do change. Especially if you've been a chorister at a busy um, you know, cathedral like that where you're singing what, eight services a week? It's. I mean, that is your life, mm. and then it can go, you know, in the blink of an eye, can't it? Yeah. But you weren't a chorister. You came to singing in your teens. Yeah, I wasn't a chorister anywhere. Um, I just I sort of started singing kind of by chance. Really. I mean, I always sang at home and I sang in the school choir, uh, and I think you know it was moderately good. My voice was. A, I was a slider, uh, so it went uh, sort of comically slowly through the through the registers and. I can remember having to do a reading in church once and uh, yodelling my way through the reading and seeing all my friends waiting to go to youth club on the Sunday night, sitting in the front pew, killing themselves laughing as I, <laughs> yeah, sort of sounded like I was singing the blues doing this reading. Um, but uh, yeah, started singing sort of more by chance, really. My school was doing a performance of uh, Elijah Mendelssohn's Elijah and mm-hmm. a, in a, a joint performance with a, with the girl, with the local girls school as well. And I wanted to play in the orchestra, but um, they didn't have very many tenors in the school choir at the time. I was singing strangulated teenage tenor at that stage. And so rather than just tell me that I was gonna sing in the choir, they offered me a term singing lessons if I sang. So I thought that was too good an opportunity to to pass up and, and that was kind of how it began. And then somebody started talking to me about choral scholarships. I had no idea what those were. I mean, the idea of a, applying to Oxford or Cambridge had never even crossed my mind. Then I joined a church
0: choir and and it just sort of went from there, really. And you said, you you know, your father was a singer, but didn't talk much about it. Your mother was a singer. And what, what did they listen to? Because that, that's what you're, you're faced with, isn't it? What did they have on in the house? Yeah, absolutely. So
2: my, my sort of, you know, you talked about Flanders and Swan being your, your, you know, the sound of your childhood. Richard Baker on a Sunday morning on Radio 3, um, you know, the sound tune, a bit of Beethoven 7. And and then we'd sit there after we'd been to Mass in the morning and then come back and have breakfast after Mass. Uh, and, and I just remember just, it was always there. So there was always that sort of music on in the background. James Galway featured very heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to say there were lots of James Galway albums uh, always on the turntable. Yeah, the, <laughs> Reader's Digest. <laughs> Reader's Digest collections. So collections of Strauss Waltzes or Gershwin songs or I mean it was it was quite varied but a lot of it came through those so you know the sort of Reader's Digest collections so for for a moment
0: I was confused between Reader's Digest and Mills and Boone and I thought you were sitting there (laughs) reading stories yeah no Mills
2: and Boone probably wasn't on my parents bookshelves Um, but yeah so they were these sort of compilation discs or you know um, albums and So you'd you'd start to get an overview, or I started to get an overview of sort of different periods of classical music, I suppose, without even really realising that that's what was happening. Uh, But but singers and and singing was, was, I think, what what my parents really loved to listen to. I can remember my dad telling me that the Dugan name could be traced back to the great bards and, and storytellers and harpers and musicians of of Irish folklore and history I, I'm not sure maybe he was just telling me that to try and get me to practice a bit more <laughs> but I've always quite liked the idea that that might be there uh Richard Tauber the great Austrian tenor was a was a particular favorite of my of my dad's um, but he loved Victoria de los Angeles the the Spanish lyric soprano and I can still see the album cover with her in this in this huge dress We think of her as an opera singer, but actually latterly in her career, she focused more on on art song, singing French, German and and Mm. Spanish repertoire. We're going to listen to a song called La Paloma, The Dove. Tonight, as the moon rises silver above the sea, I long for the harbour where you wait for me. Do you? For I know you sorrow when we're apart. I wish I could send a messenger from my heart. Then you may find a dove waiting at your window, singing a song of love to you at your window. Let it come in and there as it flies above you know that its heart is mine and it sings I love you. Let your sorrow take wings, let your heart ever sing, love, as you cherish the memory of our love that a dove may bring. Victoria de los Angeles singing La Paloma. From 1965,
0: 65, we, 1965 think. we think. Yeah, it's all storytelling, isn't it? It's all intent, as we were saying, with the Victoria. Maybe there's just the, not Victoria de los Angeles, Thomas Luis de Victoria. I mean, it's all intent and in having something to say in storytelling.
2: It's, I, I mean, there's such... There's such control there, the inflection, the phrasing.
0: But it's so conversational. Yeah, yeah, and lo- lovely orchestration. When we were looking up the date for that, I also came across this picture of Armagh Cathedral to take you back to your your dad. And um so, someone's written uh, by the picture, lol, I type in Irish Catholic churches near me. I recently moved to Sacramento, California, USA. And I get this, how hilarious is this? And someone's written underneath, I take it we won't see you there on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong accent. I can't do an Irish accent. Um, how are we going to finish today? I'm not sure I want to finish it. I'm, I'm really enjoying
2: this. Enjoying the whiskey as well. Yeah, indeed. Cheers. Mm. Have
0: What's the Irish word?
2: Sláinte. 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 Yes. There it is. So having branched out a little bit with La Paloma, the dove there, uh, I thought maybe we should come back to something which is a bit more sort of terra firma for a choral chihuahua and then i thought i remembered that the last piece pef- sung at my father's funeral was your Storm anime by mm. william bird the souls of the righteous are in the hands of god and this is the 16 with harry christopher's
0: Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via choralchihuahua.com. Thanks.